Thanks for listening to the GOSH podcast. GOSH stands for the Gynecologic Oncology Sharing Hub, an open space for real and evidence-based discussions on gynecologic cancers. We'll share the stories of gyne cancer patients and survivors and hear from researchers and clinicians who are working behind the scenes to improve the lives of people with gynecologic cancers. Our podcast is produced and recorded on the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. It is produced by the Gynecologic Cancer Initiative, a province-wide initiative in British Columbia with the mission to accelerate transformative research and translational practice on the prevention, detection, treatment, and survivorship of gynecologic cancers. Hi, I'm Nicole Kay. And I'm Stephanie Lamb. And you're listening to the GOSH Podcast. Welcome back to the GOSH podcast. Today we have another patient who has uh, graciously um, decided to come on to the podcast and share her story. Um, So we're delighted to have Marion join us today. Marion was born and raised in Kitchener-Waterloo area in Ontario until she moved to the Greater Toronto area uh, for work. Um, In 1999, she packed up her family to move to the lower mainland of BC. Um, And in 2006, she moved to Kelowna where she worked in the real estate industry. She is blessed with three beautiful daughters and two amazing grandchildren, one granddaughter and one grandson, who sadly have moved back to London, Ontario with their parents. She also has two loving fur grandbabies that are an integral part of her life as well. In 2017, Marion was diagnosed with stage four cervical cancer. Um, and in 2018, the cancer had metastasized in her right lung and her neck. Uh, luckily, this um, second metastasized was detected much earlier on in comparison to her first diagnosis. So thank you so much for being here with us today, Marion. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, why don't we just jump right in, Marion? And if you want to just, you know, expand a little bit on your um, your journey with cancer. So um, my journey started in 2017. Um, it was a very unexpected diagnosis for me as I hadn't been feeling sick. Um, I was going to the gym every day. I was working out six, seven times a week. I was running. I was training for a half marathon at the time. And there was no indication that anything was wrong with my body. Um, So when I was first diagnosed, uh, I guess what was more shocking to me than anything was the fact that all the technicians, like the ultrasound technician, the gynecologist, and this is before I went to the clinic, um, they all seemed visibly upset. And I'm thinking, can't Mm -hmm. be that bad. (laughs) Whatever, go on to the next. Um, So it turned out that I was diagnosed with stage four cervical cancer. Um, I started my treatment when, I guess when all of this first started happening, it was just before Christmas of 2016. So in 2017, I started my treatment probably in February and, um, it was quite intense treatment in the fact that I was in for treatment every day. Um, on Mondays I would do chemo and that went on for eight weeks and then every day I had radiation. And then when that ended I had I think it was four or six sessions of brachytherapy now it was the radiation and brachytherapy that really took a toll on me for the energy level 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, you know, it is what it is and it yeah. happened for a reason. So I'm not feeling sorry for myself. Maybe it's a good thing it happened. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. so when I was finished with that, you know, I ended up going back to the gym and that's when I started retraining again for the half marathon. Didn't quite make it, but that's okay. Um, because in 2018, during a routine, a routine, um, checkup with the doctor, uh, we detected a lump in my neck. And so they sent me for some, uh, a CT scan. Turned out there was also one in my um, lung that turned out to be cancerous. Mm, wow. And so I started treatment again, almost identical to a year from the first treatment. But this one was different in, in the fact that um, it was every three weeks. Mm. And the chemo was extremely intense to the point this time my hair fell out. Wow. Um, but it was intense chemo and mm-hmm. it was all day. I go there like at nine o'clock in the morning and I probably leave at four or five in the afternoon. Wow. So that was the, the more mm-hmm. difficult part. So, you know, you have to change your mindset though, when that's happening, which I think I did. And, you know, at the end of it, you know, back in the gym, away I go until until COVID came yeah. <laughs> but you know oh, COVID yeah but you know everything happens for a reason and there is a saying that life never gives you more than what you can handle mm-hmm. and I do believe that mm-hmm. well that sounds like a really intense journey but um you've managed to keep a really um, unique mindset throughout the whole the whole thing, which uh, really struck to me when I first met you. You know, we were talking a lot about the perspective that you took throughout your journey. Um, so maybe uh, do you want to expand a little bit on that? You know, how, how you arose to that uh, perspective and why mm-hmm. you thought it was important to maintain that throughout your uh, both of your diagnosis as well as um, where you are right now oh absolutely um i think perspective and attitude are key to anyone if you're going through a journey on of this nature um from the very beginning um number one i never called it cancer i called it a hiccup in my body Hmm. now whether that was denial i don't think so but for me it worked because it wasn't a part of my body or my dna that this cancer was there so I just made the choice from the very beginning that this was not going to define who I was as a person. It was not Mm -hmm. going to define who I was going to be. It was not going to define how long I was going to live Mm -hmm. because I have a theory. I'm going to live to be 130 just to bug my kids. And (laughs) it's all payback time. (laughs) One of the things I did do was um, every day, I would talk to my hiccup and I would tell it how much I loved it. And that since it was not part of my original being, it had to vacate my body. It was no longer welcome. I did this, you know, at least two or three times a day. For me, that was the way I needed to, in my mind, eliminate a foreign object in my body that I couldn't control or take out or eliminate otherwise you know and the other thing I did because the chemo days really were quite intense I would turn them into a spa day because I I continued working 
And I did continue going to the gym as long as I could until my energy ran out. Um, but I, I, even though I was working and that got pretty hectic, but I turned in all the chemo days for a spa day. It was my day to relax. It was my day to read, to meditate, listen to music, um, play video games on my um, computer, which I normally don't do. But it, it became my day just for me and not nobody else. So that was another thing that worked for me. Um, one of the things in the last chemo, and even when I was going through the radiation, was the appetite thing. Because um, I wasn't hungry. I just wanted to sleep after every treatment. And my one daughter was living with me, and she used to get so mad at me. She'd say, well, you have to eat. You haven't eaten yet today. I said, well, I'm not hungry. So we'd have this argument, and I'd finally agree that if she would just let me rest for half an hour of sleep, I would have something to eat, even if it was a cup of soup. So it would satisfy her. And she'd even make the soup for me. She doesn't like cooking. So that was even a, a better, better for me than anything. Um, you know, the other time when I was going through the brachytherapy too, I had to have an emergency blood transfusion because of my blood level had gotten really low. And my blood pressure had dropped way below 100. Um, again, that had to become a spa day. There was no point in feeling sorry for myself because that wasn't going to accomplish anything. And maybe this was wrong, but it worked for me was that I didn't, I made the choice again not to tell people about the diagnosis. You know, I, I had to tell my daughters, which was difficult. I did wait till after Christmas, though. Um, I didn't tell my sisters or my brother. Um, I told, you know, a few friends, very, very few. I told my manager and my administrator at work what was going on. Because my administrator had to know because I was having to leave so frequently. And the reason I didn't want people to know was that I didn't want them to feel sorry for me. You know, that pity party that they give to you. They don't realize it. They say, oh, you poor thing, you have that big C, you got cancer. Oh, my God, you're going to die. And they go on and on. And I didn't want that as part of my life because that to me was a negative comment they were bringing into this positive um, bubble I was trying to maintain around my body. So very few knew um, my, some of my sisters found out after the treatment was over. They weren't too happy with me. But, you know, again, that's. It's, it wasn't their journey. This was my journey. Mm -hmm. And so many people, the naysayers are so negative. They, they don't mean to be, you know, and they really are trying to maybe encourage you, but, you know, saying, oh, how sorry they are. Oh, you poor thing. That's not positive. That's not building somebody up when they're already in an environment within themselves that they need positivity in their life. They need uplifting. They need someone to take them by the hand and say, well, there's the end of the tunnel. Let's go for it. Which I found, you know, between the cancer clinic and all the doctors that I saw, that was my experience with them. They were never, oh, my God, this is so bad. You know, even with the stage four, they never once said that I wouldn't survive. They just said, whoa, treatment's working. Let's go for it. I was frustrated. I felt we should have started treatment sooner, but there's a process. And it's, you know, it all works out. 
did you find that some of the people that you did share, like your daughters or those few close friends, were they able to rally around you in that positive way? Or was you know there any conversations or coaching that you did to help get them on that same page as you? Um, not so much coaching. I told my daughters outright, I said, there's no negativity. There's no feeling sorry mm-hmm. for me. Um, if you want to come around to visit me, and we, you know, we did our Sunday night family dinners. We continued with that. I said, you can't come if you're sick or if you have a cold. That's the only criteria. But if you do come, there's no negative um, conversation. There is no, you can ask me how I'm feeling, how treatment's going. But nothing that would give it a negative connotation as to what could happen. I just said that it was just a different approach I took, you know, and I read a lot of books too, when I was going through this and Louise Hayes was probably one of my best mentors in that fact that she was a very positive spiritual lady in her writing. And I took a lot out of her books and said, well, if it worked for Mm -hmm. her, that it would work for me. And it did. It really did. It's really about, no, no. And then let's go ahead, Mary. Now, I was going to say in the medical team, you know, the doctors and the nurses at the hospital, at the clinic, I mean, they don't get enough credit for the amount of work they do. They really don't. They, there are unsung heroes. Yeah, they really are your cheerleaders. Yes. So where are you at now um, in this journey? Well, they're still monitoring my lungs. Um, they did find another spot that developed about a year and a half ago. They've determined that is probably an inflammation of some sort. So I've continued on with the quarterly um, CT scans. Um, they've just recently found another spot. Um, not this last CT scan, but the one three months ago. So we're monitoring that to see what will develop, if anything. Mm-hmm. it's not going to change my perspective on where I'm going or how I'm going to get there I might have a little detour but I'll be back on track and so are you doing any sort of treatment at this point or is it just monitoring it's just monitoring at this point in time okay um it sounds like you're also a very you, you you're a very active person training for marathons and exercising and going to the gym and everything um have you been able to kind of go back to that um since your your diagnosis in 2018 um i had gone back to the gym for a while um i haven't recently with covid um i do think my mm-hmm. running days are over because some arthritis has set in my left knee which causes a Mm. great deal of pain Mm -hmm. Um, but I do plan on going back to the gym Um, when I was diagnosed in 2018 when I started my treatment I had worked up to deadlifting a what was 178 or 180 pounds or something like that (laughs) so you know I want to go back to that yeah I want to get back in track Mm -hmm. get my body strong again yeah 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 well I love hearing I do golf a lot sorry what was that I said I do golf a lot. Ah, yes. Uh, I was just gonna say I love hearing your your perspective on all of this. It's very um, it's very refreshing, and I love how 
how you've managed to maintain that um, over the course of the last, you know, uh, three, four years. Um, you know, when when I was introduced to you, Mary and um, Dr. Mer Merchant Andy uh, really highlighted this as something that was really unique about um, you and the perspective that you took throughout your journey. So thank you so much for sharing that with us today. Um, you know, kind of the last question that we'll we'll take on um, on the episode today is, you know, we always like to ask this to our patients um, that come on, but, you know, what is one thing that you would tell other cancer patients who are also on this journey? What is one lesson that you would want to share um, to other patients? Um, I think it's a multitude of lessons, actually. Um, but I think the biggest thing is that you have to love yourself. You have to learn to forgive yourself for your imperfection. And Brenny Brown has a good book is um, learning to live with imperfection. Um, but you have to learn that no one's perfect. This journey is not going to be perfect, but you can make it as perfect as you possibly can. You can believe in yourself. You can believe in whatever faith it is that you believe in, but know that 100% your journey is there for you for a reason, embrace it, enjoy it, and don't let the naysayers bring you down. Mm -hmm. Just continue on and stay focused for the end result. Mm -hmm. and, and trust trust in your doctors 110% because they are there to help you through all mm -hmm. of it. Yeah, absolutely. That's really great advice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Marion. Uh, this has been a delight and I'm so grateful uh, for you coming on and sharing your, your journey and your perspective. Um, and hopefully it will be really helpful to our listeners um, and they'll be able to take some of your wisdom uh, for those who are just starting out on their journey, but also those who might be well into their journey, um, who's also um, in need for um, some of the perspective that you bring. So thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I really am grateful that you thought of me and wanted to hear my story. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the GOSH podcast. To learn more about the Gynecologic Cancer Initiative and our podcast, make sure to check out our website at gynecancerinitiative.ca.